This is episode 83 with Running Coach, the co-founder of Rise Run Retreat for Women and the new ninth place finisher at the 2019 World Snowshoe Running Championships, Ms. Sarah Canny. Hello, runners and the run curious. I'm Jason Fitzgerald, your host today, the head coach of Strength Running, and I'm sitting in front of my microphone really jazzed up to introduce you to my guest today, Ms. Sarah Canny. She has gotten into snowshoe running over the last several years, and she just placed in the top 10 at the World Snowshoe Running Championships in Italy. We're going to be talking all about this very niche subtopic of running because it's fun, it's ridiculous, and it's a very effective way of getting in the miles when there's a lot of snow outside. So if you've never tried it but have thought about it, this episode is going to be right up your alley. But before we dive in, I do want to stop and do a little bit of Q&A. I normally only talk about today's guest and maybe do a sponsor read to keep the lights on over here, but uh, I think it would be helpful to start some of our episodes with your questions. Why? Well, I think there's a lot of value in doing Q&A. First, it's a way that I can directly help an individual with their very specific question, but also doing it publicly allows everyone to learn from it. More than that as well, I really think it's valuable as a way of giving back to the running community so that hopefully more runners don't have to make the same mistakes that I did. All right, let's do some questions about strength training. This comes from one of our high-performance lifting clients named Steve. Now, as many of you know, we introduced high-performance lifting in 2018, last year, and it quickly became our most popular program and the program that got the most positive feedback. And if you want to learn more about it, you can do that at strengthrunning.com strength. But for now, let's take a few questions. So Steve's first question is, why do we do core work after weightlifting? Now, in the HPL program, the programming is typically three to five major weightlifting exercises, and then afterwards, we do some runner-specific core exercises that are body weight. Now, core can certainly be done as a warm-up if you prefer that. The reason why we put core at the end of the workout is that compared to weightlifting, Core work is somewhat superfluous or even remedial. The weight training that we're doing is training the core and it does so in a way that is more specific to how the core is actually used both in everyday uses and also when we're running. So in a way, the real core training is the weightlifting. The specific core exercises that we do at the end are a way to move in a specific way to get a different stimulus and just to cool down from the weightlifting. All right, question number two, do you recommend minimalist shoes for plyometrics? They seem to not offer much shock protection. This is a great question. So I think this is up to your personal preference. You can wear minimalist shoes or you can wear your normal running shoes. See what works best for you. Now, my opinion, Plyometrics can certainly be done with minimal shoes, and you may find that the training effect of plyometrics is better with minimalist shoes. Now, among the qualities that we're trying to develop with plyometrics is toughness and elasticity of the tendons and muscles, and this is particular of the lower leg. Now, if your shoes are highly cushioned, you're going to lose the training force of a plyometric 
into the shoe itself. Now, if we take a step back and think a little bit more conceptually, instead of thinking of plyometrics as producing a lot of shock for your legs, I think it's more productive to think of plyometrics as exercises that are going to create tight, springy, bouncy runners. Because if we think of your legs as pogo sticks, then plyometrics are going to be increasing the productiveness, the productivity of those springs, which are your legs. Okay, thanks to Steve for these clarifying questions on strength training. I hope they help you as well when you're in the gym getting stronger. But if you do need a little bit more guidance, learn about proper lifting for endurance runners at strengthrunning.com strength. All right, now let's get back to our topic today, Sarah Canny and snowshoe running. Sarah has made a real name for herself over the last decade, becoming both a USA Track and Field and Roadrunner Club of America certified running coach. She started the Rise Run Retreat to create connections among women athletes, and she's become a top 10 finisher at the World Snowshoe Championships. Now, you'll notice in our conversation that I'm snowshoe curious, but otherwise have no idea how this sport works. I'm letting Sarah be our guide today. So without further ado, please enjoy this very fun discussion about snowshoe running with Miss Sarah Canny. Hey, Sarah, thanks for hanging out with me today. Thanks, Jason, for having me. I'm excited to chat with you today. Well, the feeling is mutual. This feels a little surreal to me. I've been following you on Instagram for so long now, and I've been admittedly snowshoe running curious the last few years. So <laughs> I'm really looking forward to this. Awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I'm excited to to talk about snowshoe running and just running in general. Yeah. I know. Well, you just got back from the 2019 World Snowshoe Championships in Italy, which looked like it was not just a lot of fun and, and a great experience, but just gorgeous. I mean, the Dolomite Mountain Range was in the background, such a great backdrop for for a competition. And uh, now the Italians take their snowshoe running pretty seriously, don't they? Oh my goodness. Yes. Um, I mean, going to Italy was every runner's dream, right? To be able to compete internationally is really an amazing experience. And I'm so grateful to have been able to go. Um, the setting was absolutely stunning. We were in the Val Danon, which is this valley sort of between the foothills of the Dolomites. And we stayed in this little hotel that was kind of on this little rise. And so you could just see this breathtaking view of the mountains, absolutely gorgeous setting. And yes, the Italians do take their snowshoe running seriously. The race itself, the Chaspalata has over 2000 participants a year and the race has been going on for 46 years. So it's one of the longest running snowshoe races in the world and one of the, the snowshoe races with the highest participation as well. So yeah, they, um, they don't mess around. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at some of your photos on Instagram, which I will definitely recommend for everyone. Cause they're just uh, really stunning. Uh, it looks like the crowds are pretty huge and substantial and, and they had to truck in some snow, didn't they? They did, yeah. So typically, this this valley um, is in northern northern Italy. Typically, they would have plenty of snow, natural snowfall, and um, I guess they've had sort of an unseasonably warm and snowless um, start to the winter. 
And so the race itself actually had over a million dollar budget to bring snow into the race to put, to still be able to put on the race. So what they did, they actually modified the course. So instead of being a point to point run, that was a 10 K distance. They modified um, the race so that it would be two loops and then finished into the village. And so that, and that ended up being about an eight, a little over eight K distance. But yeah, they, they trucked in the snow, they groomed the snow and traditionally the race always climbs through the streets of Fondo, which is a tiny little village in that valley. Um, and you, they put snow in the street and you run between the buildings up into the main plaza of the village and the finish line was in that, the plaza. So that itself was just an incredible experience. You know, most of the snowshoe races, well, all of the snowshoe races I've ever done feel more like a trail race or you're out in an open field, kind of similar to, um, to the, the loop part of the course, but the finished portion, the last K of the course was all through these tiny village streets. That was pretty amazing. That was really neat. Yeah, well, I was going to ask you what a snowshoe race looks like, because I've never seen one and (laughs) I've never really learned much about snowshoe running. And so it sounds like this particular championship race was a little bit different than most snowshoe races out there. And and part of it went through the city and, and the roads and they put snow down on the streets. I just can't imagine how beautiful that must have looked with the snow being trucked in. Yeah, it 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 looks so different. And so, so actually the night before the race, they had an opening ceremony in the town of Fondo and, um, and they did a little parade of nations around in this little loop around the village streets. Um, so the, the, these Italian village streets are pretty narrow to begin with. So, um, with all that snow, they hadn't yet, um, covered some of the major throughways, but they had snow kind of in these, um, smaller side streets laid down. And then I guess the morning of the race, they kind of pushed the extra snow over the main thoroughfare sort of area so that to complete the course. But yeah, it was kind of surreal walking through the town the day before the race and seeing all the snow, seeing where we were going to run and where we were going to finish. It's quite a contrast from most of the snowshoe races that I've done here in New Hampshire and Vermont and Maine. Um, you know, it's a, it's a trail race. We're on trails that just happen to be covered with snow. And so you're running through woods or trees or up little mountains or across an open field. So this was, this was definitely different. Yeah. It sounds, it sounds really amazing and unique. And I'm sure with a million dollar uh, snow budget for the race that they can do some really incredible things out on the course. Now, um, can you walk us through what it's like to run in a world snowshoe running competition what what was the start of the race like and 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 kind of what was the the vibe around the race like on race day yeah so actually this is my my second world snowshoe championships in 2016 or actually it was january 2017 at the like the beginning of the season the world championships were in saranac lake um in upstate new york so i actually participated in in that race itself and honestly, that the town and the organizers of the race did a really great job to to try and elevate it to a from just kind of a local snowshoe race to a world class type of event. 
but I have to say that it, it pauls in comparison to the race in Italy. Um, they just went above and beyond to make the race um, and all of the events surrounding the race feel really important. Like it felt like I was part of like a mini Olympics. Um, they had a torch, they had an opening ceremony. Um, they played national anthems for the winners at the, the closing ceremony and the award ceremony, you know, just, the, I think there was a lot of sponsorship and a lot of effort that went into, to creating just a really neat event. Um, and so that was really fun to be part of just, you know, there was a jumbotron at the finish line, you know, you know, like things that you just normally would not be, you know, it's kind of like my friend, um, who's on the team, Amber Ferreira, she's an Ironman athlete. And she said, you know, it feels like an Ironman, you know, the, just kind of the, the level of excitement and participation, it just felt really special. So, and actually the start of the race was kind of interesting because, typically at a world and even a national championship event, um, the men and women race separately. So you'd have a separate start for the men would go off and then the women would go off, you know, however, you know, long after that, 10, 30 minutes, 10, 10 minutes to 30 minutes afterwards, um, depending on the course. And, uh, for this particular race, they had the men and women going off at the same time, which, was a challenge because it's, it was two loops. Um, and also the starting corral sort of the way that they had placed the fencing for around the starting corral, um, meant that we all started sort of under this huge arch, this huge like blow up arch. Um, and then the fencing sort of bottlenecked before everyone could kind of get out onto the course. And then the course itself, because the snow was trucked in, you know, in parts, parts of the course were maybe eight to 10 feet wide. So they're not, you know, it's not that wide. Um, and so there was a lot of jostling for position at the start. In fact, there are a couple people who jumped the gun, you know, they were doing a, a voice count command countdown and then they, you know, let off a starting gun. Um, and there were a couple people who went early, you know, and, um, so, so the actual start of the race was, um, kind of crazy. <laughs> and my biggest concern was, I just, I don't want to go down because you can get, I mean, you don't want to get trampled by snowshoes. And I've gone down before at the start of a race and ended up somehow someone's snowshoe sliced open my tight and I got a nice slit in my knee, nothing crazy, but still it's like, you, d you don't want to go down. So my main goal at the start was to stay upright and not, step on anyone, not get stepped on. But once the, once the gun went off, um, I was actually kind of surprised at how quickly the craziness calmed down and people separated out. It kind of worked itself out, um, within the first 200 meters. So it wasn't congested for as long as I thought it was going to be. It was interesting for sure. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, hearing you talk about it reminds me of a big cross country race, and I always think back to racing uh, big cross country races. The New England Division Three Championships was always at Franklin Park in Massachusetts, mm -hmm. which is kind of a famous cross country location. And uh, the the way that that course is set up is that you have a line, a starting line that has to be like 200 meters long, and you have 20 teams, 25 teams, but 
300 meters down the field, it bottlenecks into like a 20 foot wide, tiny little trail. And it is just madness because that 300 meters is like the fastest 300 you're ever going to run in the entire race because you're yeah. just trying to get down the field. Yeah, position. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. So, man, it sounds like uh, these kinds of races are in, in a lot of ways like cross-country races. And and yeah. I should add too, Sarah, uh, for our listeners, you finished seventh, which I think is incredible. How What was going through your head when you crossed the finish line in seventh place? Well, actually, so apparently, so the official um, results got adjusted afterwards. So I actually finished, officially finished ninth. Um, so still top 10. But when I did initially cross the finish line, I knew I was the fourth American and then was, you know, kind of told and the results showed that I was seventh. I mean, I think ninth is still pretty <laughs> damn good. So um, sure is. I mean, honestly, I was I was really psyched because um when you're competing internationally, you have no idea who's going to show up. I mean, and it was a pretty competitive field, um, not just with some of the international competitors, but also um, Team USA for the women. We just had so many strong runners that, you know, there's definitely an intimidation factor for me with some of my teammates. Like, you know, on paper, a lot of them are, are way faster than me on the roads. You know, if you kind of match up our, our – our times and results and things like that. Um, but I think the thing that I, it kind of boiled down to for me going into the race was just to believe that anything's possible to believe, um, that I belong, you know, on that, that stage. And, um, and so, you know, in the race itself, I think I, I, knew kind of where I was in terms of where my teammates were. And I knew that I wanted to, you know, my overarching goal was, you know, finish top 10. Uh, the last world championship I participated in, I finished 18th. So, you know, and I honestly felt anything higher than that would have been an improvement. Um, but top 10 was definitely sort of my, my reaching goal. So to know, to cross the line and know that I had accomplished that just was just a huge validation and huge, um, just source of pride, you know? So I, I feel really proud of that effort. I feel really proud of what I did during the race. And yeah, yeah, it was definitely, um, just a really special, special moment. No doubt. No doubt. You've been, um, I know working hard for this for a while. Have you been chasing this goal for, for a long time? No, I, you know, it's funny. I, I really, I really haven't, um, you know, relatively new to snowshoe running just in the last four years. Um, you know, a while back I had set the goal to, to finish top three at nationals. And that was kind of a reach goal for me when I, when I set that goal and I accomplished that last year, um, finishing third. And I, I honestly didn't really have much thought of whether or not I was going to participate in the world championships, whether or not I'd be able to afford to, to travel. There's no, um, there's no, uh, travel budget allowance for the, for the USA snowshoeing team. We all have to pay our own way. So there was just a lot of unknowns. Like I, I didn't honestly didn't even know if I would be able to go. Um, but I think once, once I qualified at nationals and then, um, decided, made the decision to join the team and go, um, that's kind of sort of when those goals started to formulate. Um, but even then it's, it's hard to even know kind of what, 
what's realistic when you have no idea who who the competition is and who's going to show up on on race day. So I just was kind of going off, you know, how I had done at Saranac Lake and then, you know, believing that I was in quite a bit better shape than I was at that point. So, yeah, it's not necessarily something that I always dreamed of per se, but definitely proud of, of the accomplishment. Absolutely. Now, maybe we can take a step back and, and talk about how you started snowshoe running, because I mean, let's let's be honest, this is a bit of an esoteric sport, right? I mean, most oh, people get into uh, yoga or spin class. <laughs> now, yeah. you live in New Hampshire. So yeah. are, are you required to to be a snowshoe runner? Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, it's funny, because based on last, you, you know, our winters have been a little funky recently, just in terms of, uh, you know, being unseasonably warm or lack of snowfall. But initially, when I started snowshoeing, I kind of stumbled into it as just, I think I was, it was a particularly snowy winter. And I was just sick of running on the tre- treadmill or trying to avoid icy roads. And there was a local snowshoe race that was at night, um, and required that you have a headlamp. And, um, the day that, uh, the day of the race or, you know, I registered for the race and then the day of the race, it was snowing. Um, so I drove through the snow to get to the race and then getting out there at night with a headlamp and snowshoes and running through the trails while it was snowing. I just kind of fell in love with the sport because, it's just so different from anything I'd ever done. And it just was a really f- thrilling, I guess you could say. It was just a, a thrill to to run, kind of float on the fresh powder on these snowshoes and then run through the trees and the trails. It was, it was a really neat um, first experience. And then from there, I just started participating in the local snowshoe running series. There was a, there's a, um, series is no longer around. A lot of the races are still around, but the series is no longer around, but there was a snowshoe running series in New Hampshire, um, that incorporated, I think six, six or seven races, snowshoe races. And so I got involved with that and then realized that there was national championships and then, you know, found out a few years later, there was world championships and and just kind of got interested in it in that way. So one might even say your interest snowballed from there. Exactly. Yes. Sorry. Everyone's going to hate me for that that one. No, that's so perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, hearing you talk about how you fell in love with snowshoe running your first race, it's at night, there's snow falling and you're kind of just, you know, illuminating the snow with your headlamp and you're seeing the snowflakes come down. While I've never gone snowshoe running, I have very strong memories of, you know, my first couple years running in Massachusetts where I grew up and going through runs in the snow on trails and having that same experience. You're just, it's this very peaceful, incredible, um, just uh, a very serene experience of you being out in the woods with the snow coming down and you just hear the crunch of your footsteps and really that's it. That's, I, I feel like it's such a, um, uh, a different running experience than you normally get when you're on the treadmill or out on the roads on a, on a busy street. It's, it's very true. It's kind of, it's, it's almost poetic the way, I mean, it's also a ton of work and it's really hard, <laughs> but but there is a poetry to it, I think, and maybe that's what attracted me to it. Um, and and that snowshoe race was also my first ever trail race, um, 
And so I think that's kind of dipping my toe into that activity kind of then segued into trying more trail races in the summer months. And so, so yeah, I mean, I think it's been a fun journey to start with the snowshoe running and then transition to more trail and mountain running and really find like this niche within running that I, that brings me a lot of joy. Um, I just really, really enjoy it so much. I know. What was it an easy transition from, from regular running? Cause I know you had a background as a runner before you ever laced up your snowshoes. Yeah. I mean, I, I had sort of become a runner by deciding to run a marathon, um, as like a bucket list kind of thing. And, you know, I think it's a pretty easy transition. Um, there's not anything particularly special or different about snowshoe running and technically speaking. Um, it's just a, you know, just a little bit more exertion and a little bit harder because you've, you've got these snowshoes strapped to your feet. But I mean, I, I really did enjoy road running, but I think, you know, one of the reasons why I like to run is because it gets me outside every day and I just love being outside. And so I think I feel just a little bit more at home when there's beauty around me versus, you know, roads and buildings and things like that. So I feel like the trail running and the snowshoe running was kind of a natural progression. And probably a lot more fun than doing a regular run on a treadmill at a busy gym somewhere. Yeah, that's definitely true. I mean, I I actually used to really hate the winter so much so that um, my husband and I ended up moving to Arizona for a little while (laughs) because neither of us really liked the winter. Um, I was always cold. I don't, I, at the time, I mean, I still don't, I don't downhill ski. I did a little bit of Nordic skiing when I was a kid because that's what my parents were into. But I just never really enjoyed being outside in the winter because I was always just cold and miserable. So the snowshoe running kind of gave me something to look forward to. Um, you know, I kind of line up the the race calendar and look, you know, like every other weekend I'd be at a snowshoe race and, you know, you'd hope for really good snow. You'd hope that it would snow. You know, it it just shifts your perfect perfect perspective so much because you go from hating the cold and the snow to like hoping that it will snow. So the conditions for the snowshoe race will be really good. Um, and it just made the winter pass by more quickly, honestly, because you've got, you know, you line up all your snowshoe races and, and before you know it, it's March and then, you know, the winter's almost over. So I, I feel like I'm having some serious FOMO right now because I have <laughs> I have an open invite to go snowshoe running with uh, an ultra runner here in Denver, Travis Macy. I'm not sure if you know him, but he's a uh, he does a lot of big ultra endurance kind of races, mm. including cycling and mountain biking and and oh, uh, ultra endurance running too. And he's always inviting me up to go for a run or, or a snowshoe run with him uh, closer to the mountains. I haven't gone yet. And now I'm wondering why I haven't taken him up on this opportunity. You totally should. You, you totally should. Yeah. Now yeah. I'm a little scared because I haven't done any prep. Uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about the training. Is the, is the training much different than regular running? What, is, um, what does that look like? I mean, the training is pretty much the same as I would train for a trail or mountain run. I think the one thing that becomes just a little bit more important is um, just maintaining a a sort of a prehab strength routine that's just focused on core stability and um, hip and glute strength. So um, 
you know, in terms of mechanics, your stride is a little bit more exaggerated and your upper body movement is a little bit more exaggerated as well. Um, it's kind of funny after the race championship race on Saturday, the next day, Sunday, my shoulders and upper back were incredibly sore, like just super, super sore. My legs weren't sore. Um, but my upper back was really sore. And that, I think that's just from just kind of this over this over exaggerated, um, arm swing plus, you know, um, there's just a little bit more movement on in every area. But one of the great things about snowshoe running is that the, it's a softer impact because you're running on snow. So in terms of kind of giving your body, you know, if, uh, if you're taking an off season in the winter, um, in terms of getting, giving your body a little bit of a break from the pounding of maybe training on the roads, snowshoe running is a, a really great option. When I think about snowshoe running, it reminds me very much of uh, like cross country running or trail racing because it's it's running, but it's going to be slower uh, because of the surface and because of what you're running through. Um, so yeah, hearing you talk about uh, a bigger emphasis on strength training makes a lot of sense to me because you just you can't go as fast, but you need to be arguably maybe even a little bit stronger just to get yourself through that difficult terrain at, uh, you know, a good enough speed. Yeah, I, d- I definitely agree. And so I think that's why it sort of plays to my, um, my strengths. Um, I would consider myself more of sort of a strength runner than a speed runner. Um, and so, you know, my, my times on the road might not necessarily be all that impressive, but I think because of my strength, I'm able to do well with the snowshoe running just because that's, that just happens to be my natural, where my natural ability lies. So what does your strength training look like? Are you in the gym doing kind of traditional weightlifting or are you doing a lot of body weight work, you know, more like at home? Like how does you, how do you strike that balance? It's actually a little bit of both. I mean, we're, we're lucky. We've kind of carved out half of the playroom for our treadmill and we've got an adjustable, you know, dumbbell set and all that kind of thing. Um, so it's a combination of sort of traditional weightlifting in terms of deadlifts, squats, um, those types of movements. Um, and then also just, yeah, body weight, body weight stuff, pull-ups, push-ups, a lot of uh, this time around, um, I worked with my coach to incorporate some more jumping, jump squats, lunge jumps. Um, so there was a little bit of plyometrics in there as well. It's typically about 20 minutes of strength training three to four times a week. Yeah. And I think that really, I mean, honestly, in terms of power, I think that that definitely comes from the, the squats and the deadlifts and, and stuff like that. So, um, so that's, you know, kind of the source of the the strength and then the, the body weight stuff definitely contributes as well. But. Now back to the, to the running and snowshoe running, how do you track snowshoe running mileage? Do you, do you do it the same way or, or is it done differently? Yeah, the same, same way to, um, I mean, obviously your paces are going to be a lot slower and the pacing completely depends on the conditions. So, um, I think in the championship race on Saturday, I averaged like an eight fourteen minute mile and that was on pretty hard packed snow for like the first part of the first loop. And then the rest was got soft quickly because it was a two loop course. So it got chewed up by everyone's snowshoes and softened quite a bit. 
Um, and then the climb through the streets was actually like mashed potato, like running through mashed potatoes cause it was so soft. Um, so, so I ended up averaging 814. And then if you look back to the national championships last March, I think I averaged 1437 per oh, wow. mile. That is, a, so, that is a huge difference. That is a huge difference. And it's all because of the snow conditions. So not, so at the, the national championships, the snow was about waist deep. It was about 42 inches deep. It hadn't been packed down. It fresh snow was falling. Um, so it was just like a powder fest. Basically there's so much snow. Um, and so that, that race was a 10 K and it, you know, took me about the same length as a, in the same time as a half marathon. So, um, you know, and then yesterday was, or not yesterday, sorry, the, um, the championships, uh, the world championships was an eight K and, you know, took 40 minutes. So, you know, it just all depends on the snow conditions. Now, because the pace is so variable, when you're training, do you more pay attention to the amount of time that you're out there snowshoe running, or is it still more mileage based? When I'm out training on snowshoes, um, it's more time. Um, I focus more on time than, um, than actual mileage. The way that you can, you measure is, is just more effort based versus mileage and pacing. Yeah, so. another similarity I think between you know trail running, even mountain running, uh, cross country running is that they're much more based on feel and effort because you are uh, running on different kinds of surfaces that aren't going to give you the same energy return and aren't as smooth as say you know the track, which is you know the runners the runners uh, fastest best friend. You know that's the surface you want to be yeah. on if you want to run the fastest time possible. But yeah, when you're when you're running like you know i'm in colorado and when i go out in the mountains and go for a run i can't really pay attention to pace because not only am i dealing with the crazy elevation changes but also the altitude and you can't you can't try to run the same pace that you'd run here in denver or if i went back to the east coast you kind of just have to pay attention to time and how you're feeling yeah yeah and i think that's one of the things that i really like about snowshoe running is that it it takes the overthinking piece out of it, you know, and you're just out there racing and running by feel and, and by effort. And so, um, for me, that's, I feel like that's really freeing and allows me to just be in the moment and enjoy what I'm doing. Um, whereas I think sometimes with, with road running, I get really absorbed in the pace and, you know, what, what I think I should be running, what I'm not, you know, what I'm, what am I actually running? You know, it just kind of, I have a tendency to overthink that kind of thing and, and then get either discouraged or, you know, caught up in, in my head a little bit. So that's what I appreciate about the snowshoe running and trail running. It just allows you to be in the moment a little bit more. And I think there's something special about that, especially today where very often we're distracted enough that we don't necessarily have to be in the moment ever. You know, we can always be buried in our phone or worrying about something else. But when we can be distraction free and just totally absorbed in the task at hand, whether that's snowshoe running or trail running or you know swimming, whatever it might be, uh, I think there's there's a lot to be said for that. Uh, Sarah, I want to talk a little bit about gear because I'm just fascinated by this 
like I, I keep saying, I don't know anything about snowshoe running. So this is all just very interesting to me. Um, do you just need a pair of running snowshoes? What else is involved? So I actually started off with a very traditional pair of snowshoes that were not built for or designed for running. I didn't run very far in them, <laughs> maybe three miles. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> because they were huge and pretty cumbersome. But um, but it gave me a little bit of an idea of what it was going to be like. Um, and then after I um, did my first snowshoe race, that first season, I was able to rent snowshoes at each of the races, And the snowshoes that I rented that they had available were uh, Dion snowshoes, which are made by a company in Vermont. They're handmade um, here in Vermont. And uh, and that when I was ready to finally invest in, in my own pair of, of racing snowshoes, that's what I bought. Um, they are very lightweight. And there's actually a standard size, um, a regulation size for snowshoe racing and all of that is on the the u.s uh, snowshoe racing association's website and that's uh snowshoeracing.com but typically the regulation snowshoes um they're going to be quite a bit shorter so mine i think are 21 inches long and they're a lightweight aluminum frame and then sort of a, a nylon fabric webbing so where the webbing would be it's kind of this um this really tough plastic um fabric um and then you have um the the binding and then you can get different cleats for different conditions ice cleats deep cleats um so you can get pretty pretty technical but you also can keep it really simple and just find a, a small pair of um smaller pair of snowshoes and, and give it a try on those. Um, I think, you know, for anyone who's wanting to, to try it out, I think the, the best thing to do is just see if any of the local races rent snowshoes, um, first. And then if not, you know, check Craigslist or, you know, whatever, and see if you can find just a smaller pair of snowshoes. Cause the, the, like the top of the line, Dion snowshoe will probably run you around two fifty. I think it is for, for a pair of snowshoes. So that's kind of a, pretty big investment. Um, it's good to make sure that you're going to get, you know, your money's worth and actually, you know, try it out before you, before you decide to buy. Um, so, but beyond snowshoes, I mean, you can keep it as simple as possible in terms of just wearing your regular winter running gear. I have, um, a pair of Topo athletic hydro ventures, which are, um, a waterproof trail shoe that Topo Athletic makes. And, um, I really, I've worn those for the past few years and they, they are really good at, at keeping your feet warm and dry. Um, cause one of the things that tends to happen when you're snowshoe running is you get really, really wet cause you kick up a lot of snow. Um, actually the first, so the first race that I participated in, I, I literally thought someone was throwing snowballs at my back <laughs> and <laughs> it was I, me who had, who had, who has the time to pick up a snowball and throw it at me during a race. And, <laughs> you know, and then after a few strides, I realized, Oh, that's my own snowshoes, like kicking the snow up onto my back. And so you do get, get really, um, get really wet, um, during the snowshoe race. So, um, but you also get really hot. I mean, your heart rate is, gets goes up pretty high pretty quick 
um, and you're going to, you're going to work up a really good sweat, um, running in snowshoes. So it's, it's kind of a tricky balance to just make sure that you have your layering pretty dialed in. Yeah. It, it does sound like snowshoe running is almost like this uh, interesting cross between running and cross country skiing. Cause it's much more yes. of a full body kind oh, of totally. exercise. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you're just you're just using your 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 arms and your upper body, and it's more exaggerated. Uh, to me, it it seems uh, very similar. Yeah, I would definitely say that that's true. Now, I want to be clear about snowshoes. There's a difference between snowshoes and running snowshoes. Is that right? There is. Yeah, definitely. So, a running snowshoe. You know, there's trucking snowshoes, which are great for hiking in um, deeper powder. Um, you know, and there's varying sizes you can, you know, based on your weight and things like that. So a more traditional snowshoe is really built for you to kind of walk on top of fresh powder, hike, do those kinds of activities. Whereas a running snowshoe, it's not going to be that great on powder um, because it's built to, to run on groomed or groomed Nordic trail or um, not very deep powder. So um, yeah, there's definitely a big size difference and a big weight difference. I see. And uh, I also just want to make sure I'm understanding right. You just wear whatever running shoes you have, preferably, like you mentioned, a nice waterproof pair. But you just clip those in to the to the snowshoes. Yeah. Is that right? Yep. So there are some sh- snowshoes where you can cl- actually clip or screw your shoes into them. The Dion snowshoes have um, a binding that has three um velcro straps or you can get like buckle straps they have two types of bindings so it straps over the toe it straps across the ankle and then it straps around the heel um to hold the shoe in place but yeah you could you could really wear any shoe um you could even wear a racing flat if you wanted to to go as light as possible so and i've i've worn racing flats that i've duct taped i put duct tape over the mesh just to kind of keep a little bit of the the snow out but my preference is, is like a, a lightweight waterproof trail shoe seems to be a good fit just in terms of comfort, especially if, um, like the national championship race where the snow was so deep and we were out there for 90 minutes, getting cold becomes a factor. Um, you know, being wet and cold for a prolonged period of time becomes a factor when the conditions are like that. But more typically, you know, a race is a little bit shorter. It's more like a, uh, 10k where you're maybe out there for for not for 90 minutes, um, for a shorter amount of time. And you know, once you finish, you can change out of that wet, cold stuff pretty quickly. So, um, so I think too that the gear choice depends on the the conditions and the terrain. Well, Sarah, I think it is very fitting as an aside here that we're having this conversation. I'm looking out my window. There's like a blizzard going on outside. Oh, and I haven't, awesome. <laughs> I haven't gone running yet today. It's not snowing here. Uh, <laughs> I haven't gone running yet today. So yeah, there I, you can't, go. I can't just yeah. give up on my run today after talking about running in the snow for an hour. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Sarah, this has been a lot of fun for me because, uh, like I said, this is uh, a really interesting kind of uh, niche subcategory of running that uh, oh, yeah. I-, I think I'd love to get into now that I'm here in Colorado and we have plenty of snow and mountains to, to run around in. Um, but before we go, what's next for you? Yeah, so um, next up 
is um, I'll probably be heading out to Wisconsin for the National Snowshoe Championships. Um, originally, I was not going to go um, just because with traveling expenses to Italy and then to back it up with another race. Um, but I, it looks like I, I will probably head out there, um, and that's in March. And then there's a couple other local snowshoe races I'll do between now and then. But honestly, I we were in Italy when 2018 changed over to 2019, and I honestly haven't thought that much about um, what I'm doing in 2019 other than, you know, my favorite favorite race is the Mount Washington road race. So I'll be participating in that again. But beyond that, I, I really don't know. 2019 is wide open. It sure is. Well, I'll be definitely following along on your journey this year. And I'd love to see, you know, how you do in some races coming up. Uh, with that in mind, where can folks connect with you and, and follow along with your progress? Yeah, so I'm most active on Instagram. And you can find me at runfargirl. Um, I also blog at runfargirl.com and, um, yeah, you can catch up with me in those two, those two places. Yeah. I want to let you plug your retreat too, because I think that's a really awesome thing that you do for, for runners and for women. Can you talk about that for just a minute? Yeah, I would love to, uh, three years ago in 2015, I started a women's running retreat called rise run retreat. Um, and the focus of the retreat is, um, helping women make authentic connections through running. And what I, what I see my job as, as the retreat host and director is just facilitating relationships and facilitating growth in, in the people who come. And I'm really excited about our spring retreat, which is, May 16th through 19th in Woodstock, Vermont. And we have a really amazing lineup of guest speakers. We have Sally McRae coming out, Krista Shefshunis, who is a um, confidence coach, um, and Kim Nadeau, who is an injury prevention specialist and running coach, who also happens to be my coach. The three, Those three women will be um, sharing with our group and that Weekend also includes group runs, road runs, a trail run, and just a really amazing chance to to meet and connect with other runners. So the retreat itself only has 16 spots, um, and we've filled up. We only have seven spots left, so I know it's going to fill up in the next couple months. But if people want more information, um, they can head to riserunretreat.com. And there's information about the spring retreat. And then we also have a running camp in the fall. And that's in New Hampshire um, the second weekend in September. And all that information is on the website if people are interested. Awesome. Well, Sarah, thank you so much. I'll, I'll make sure to link up uh, your website and the retreat website underneath this podcast episode when we publish it on the blog. So if you're listening to this and you're at the gym, you're doing dishes and you want to get those links, just head on over to Strength Running and we'll have that up on the blog. Sarah, thanks so much for being here and talking about uh, your journey into snowshoe running and how it came about. Uh, I think it's something that hopefully a couple more runners after listening to this might want to give a try. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me on. And it's really fun to, to share my passion for this, this kind of niche sport. That's just really a ton of fun. So yeah, hopefully other people will, will get involved. Awesome. Thank you, Sarah. All right. Thank you. And there it is. 
Thank you for listening to this episode with our guest, snowshoe athlete, coach, and runner, Sarah Canny. If you're curious about the snowshoes that Sarah has named after her, be sure to check out the blog post about this episode on strengthrunning.com. All right, what else do I have for you today? I think that's it. So no sponsors today. Just be good to one another. Commit to the process of training. Go to strengthrunning.com slash strength if you want to learn more about strength training for runners. And always, run strong. Until next time, everyone, take care.